Welcome everyone to the final episode of the first season of the RJOS podcast. This season of the podcast, entitled The Road Less Traveled, has highlighted surgeons who have taken a non-traditional path during their career. On this episode, we have a great interview with Dr. Yasmin McGinty. Dr. McGinty's story is not only unique, as she is a black female orthopedic surgeon, but also she is someone who has been able to continue to contribute to the field after being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I was very inspired by my conversation with Dr. McGinty, and I'm so honored to have been able to speak with her. I hope you enjoy this episode of the RJOS podcast with Dr. Yasmin McGinty. Dr. Yasmin McGinty, thank you so much for joining us on the RJOS podcast. I am so excited to be able to speak with you, and I'm so glad we were finally able to do this. Yeah, I'm happy to, <laughs> to be here as well to speak with you. We've had a few uh, chances to connect, but I'm glad we we're here today. Yes, we persevere through adversity, indeed. Oh, oh my word. Uh, so I do want to provide our listeners with an introduction to who you are. So okay. in your own words, can you describe your background, where you went to medical school, residency fellowship, and your post-fellowship years? Sure. So I think I probably have to start that I was somewhat of a non-traditional student um, right. in that uh, I didn't go directly into medical school right after undergraduate. So I graduated, oh. um, I got married, and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. so it took me about three years before I decided, yes, I wanted to go into medicine. And during that wow. time, I was doing my pre-med requisites, uh, uh, requirements at uh, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up attending uh, University of Virginia for medical school and also stayed on at University of Virginia for my uh, residency training um, and once I finished residency, it was on to NYU Hospital for Joint Diseases for a fellowship in pediatric orthopedic surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, immediately uh, was recruited away by one of my uh, former attendings at UVA, who was um, a new, uh, new uh, chairman at Southern Illinois University in mm -hmm. Springfield, Illinois. In the Midwest, nice. a place I'd never <laughs> <laughs> again fly over country, um, right. uh, and so I we moved my whole family to Springfield, Illinois, for mm -hmm. approximately three years, and then I wow. moved on to St. Louis University, which is my current home uh, technically, um, where I practiced peds orthopedics for uh, about eight years. Mm -hmm. I was there and. Uh, also was uh, the uh, program director for several years at that nice. program as well. Very cool. Well, fantastic. Ah, such a great story. And you've moved all over the country, which is, yes. which is great. And new experiences, different weather, some better than others, certainly. Yes. Um, I do want to go into when the first moment you knew you wanted to pursue a career in orthopedic surgery. And I was hoping you can kind of describe uh, when that was, what inspired you to pursue ortho? Sure. So I can't remember exactly why 
I chose orthopedic surgery as a um, subspecialty choice uh, during my surgery rotation, um, third year of medical school, but I did orthopedics. And um, I was took call, those were days when you definitely just stayed in the hospital. <laughs> and um, I t- really loved the team atmosphere that the residents kind of had with each other during call and uh, clinic. And I remember going into the ER one evening and there was a gentleman that had a broken femur uh, from a car accident mm-hmm. uh, and just how how painful it was for him and helped put in traction, but we were able to go to the operating room that evening. And mm-hmm. so I think there were three or four of us in the operating room, including myself, and I was able to participate in putting in a femoral nail. And nice. it was absolutely amazing and fun to put in the nail and the residents, um, it was really neat how the uh, chief resident kind of was directing everything and the uh, second year resident got to do a little bit and the um, third year resident or fourth year resident, I think it was in-house as well, kind of was talking, scrubbed and talking through and they allowed me to hammer the nail in. Oh, and, word. Uh, after, you know, the night of call, we went and rounded, um, on the patients and the guy was up and walking with PT the next morning. Oh, wow. And I was just, by that point I was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely sold. sold. Um, uh, I really loved it, but to be honest, I didn't know if I could do it. I never, I never saw anyone mm-hmm. in orthopedics that looked like me at all. Right. The guys um, that I worked with were completely uh, welcoming to me, mm-hmm. but never did they say, oh, you should do orthopedics. Like they just, right. I was able to take call. They let me to part- participate. They were actually really happy that I took call and, you know, jumped in and did a whole bunch of stuff and just kind of just showed a lot of interest. But there was mm-hmm. never really like, you should do this uh, right. moment. And so... I went on, did all my other rotations, and uh, pretty much it boiled down that I was going to be a plastic surgeon <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I had lots and lots of great general surgery women mentors at UVA, and I still had this nagging want to, that I just really loved orthopedics so much, and I couldn't see myself doing... I loved reconstructive surgery, and... Mm-hmm just didn't see uh, doing, you know, breast surgery or, you know, just being held to that one part of the body. And so I went and saw our orthopedic chairman, uh, who at the time was Dr. Cato Lorenzen. And uh, he looked at my, you know, resume. I was a little bit nervous. And he was like, well, you totally can be an orthopedic surgeon. And I was like, I, re- I can. Are you sure? I don't have a mentor. I don't know anyone. Right. I don't know. Right how, what I, what I should do. And he's like, I'll be your mentor. No problem. So he took me under his wing and, uh, you know, that was kind of history after that. Yeah. That's awesome. I will say that a femoral nail is 100% my favorite procedure of just all of orthopedics. It's so (laughs) slick and it's so amazing. It It really is a slick procedure and it is, it's like magic. 
Right, exactly. And I know that, you know, speaking of mentors, Mm -hmm. um, I was hoping you could talk about who some of your most memorable mentors have been from the beginning to even now. Yeah, so um, obviously Dr. Lorenzen was sort of the OG of mentors, so to speak. (laughs) I mean, he really took me under his wing, uh, made me feel like I could be a part of orthopedics, that I could do this, that I was smart that I, you know, physically had no problems doing it, even though I, that wasn't, I'm, I have to admit that I'm a six foot tall woman. And so that right. never really came into any sort of mm-hmm. things when it comes to that. But um, he really was that first person to believe in me and mm-hmm. really uh, support me. And then um, uh, I would say Dr. Bobby Chabra, who's now chairman at, um, University of Virginia was one of those other people. He um, was a UVA grad himself, uh, both medical school and residency. And I knew he he and his brother um, graduated not too far before me. And so they both were incredibly supportive and right around the same age uh, again. And so uh, he was always really supportive and encouraging and just excited anytime I was on service right. and showed a lot of interest. And it was just a really great teacher. I mean, just an amazing teacher. Um, and then I, I think once I uh, got into fellowship, um, I, uh, there is a gentleman that's now passed away, but um, Al Grant, uh, mm. who uh, is one of the fathers, really, honestly, of pediatric orthopedics, uh, at, uh, at least in, in New York, uh, mm-hmm. was just an absolute wealth of knowledge. And I would follow him around, and he had clinics where he had people following up from 30 years ago. Wow. And he literally was like, I am going to be your mentor of what not to do. And no one ever talked to, you know, you're always talking about, well, how do I make decisions or how, and and honestly, um, it wasn't so much what not to do, but how and when, and these are the consequences of certain things. And I really got to see that through. Mm -hmm. And then I think, uh, really, honestly, my first orthopedic woman mentor was also um, at, Hospital for Joint Diseases. Um, Donna Phillips uh, mm. is a, um, she's, I think she's semi retired now, but an absolutely amazing woman who uh, started out her career, honestly, as a single mom. And just mm. some of the amazing things she dealt with and how she dealt with them and her practicality wow. is just, was just amazing. And she is so supportive and, um, amazing, just an amazing physician. And I loved her uh, clinical uh, sort of uh, uh, just the way she spoke with her patients and her loving and just amazing uh, rapport with patients was just, just, I love that so much. And it definitely rebuked kind of that idea of the jock orthopedic surgeon. And she's incredibly, um, I mean, she loves to hug, she plays, right. she does all those things, and all of her patients love her. And so it was really, really, so those are, you know, the three or four people that really started out uh, supporting. And I guess, I guess the last person that I, I would, if he listened to this, I would just be remiss without saying uh, David Feldman, who um, probably was one of those, the first people who 
acknowledge that like I was a really good surgeon like he was like I love you like you're a great surgeon why haven't you you know please come work right, with me right. and I yeah, that was really nice to hear and mm-hmm. um, he was incredibly supportive and you know just you know recognized that I could I was doing the right thing and helped right. uh, me be able to believe that I can make decisions and do a lot of the things so it was great he was a great mentor Oh, amazing. Awesome. I think it's just so amazing to hear that you've had both uh, male and female mentors yes. throughout the course of your careers. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's this, I feel like there's this misconception that you like have to have female mentors. Um, and I think that, you know, your testament li- literally is just that it's, it's both, you know, sure. it really is both. Um, I would like to uh, talk about your leadership roles that you've mm-hmm. uh, held. And you are currently the vice president mm-hmm. of the J. Robert Gladden Orthopedic Society. Mm-hmm. And for review for our listeners, the J. Robert Gladden Orthopedic Society is a multicultural organization designed to meet the needs of underrepresented minority orthopedic surgeons and to advance the ideals of excellent musculoskeletal care for all patients with particular attention to the underserved groups. And so my first question to you Mm -hmm. is when and why did you first join the Gladden Society? So um, I first joined the Gladden Society, I think mostly because it was a a safe space Mm -hmm. where I saw people that looked like me, whether it was women, uh, African-American or black surgeons, brown surgeons, mm-hmm. um, or just underrepresented orthopedic surgeons where uh, we could share um, similar uh, experiences in a very safe environment. And so, right. honestly, I joined initially because it was it was a, socially, it was a support group, basically, mm-hmm. um, uh, that I you know, could identify with that maybe I didn't have necessarily at my own program. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. And now that you are vice president, uh, (laughs) what what have been your responsibilities as vice president? So um, the uh, J. Robert Gladden Society is actually, we're undergoing um, sort of a restructuring and um, we are now managed by a private company and that transition happened recently. So um, par- as part of the executive board, uh, both the pri- president, vice president, all of us have been intricately involved in picking and interviewing a new management company for our group mm. um, with the idea of expanding and um, uh, sort of redeveloping our product and brand and um, hopefully reaching more folks um, right. as we go forward. Um, mm. So I've been doing that. But as vice president, I also serve as a representative to the board of specialties. Um, both the Gladden Society and the Ruth Jackson Society um, uh, have kind of special, uh, are special groups within the Board of Specialties. You know, most Mm -hmm. of them are represented by the different body parts that people operate on, whether it's the spine (laughs) surgeons or the shoulder and elbow folks. Well, Mm -hmm. we are um, 
those organizations that represent women and minorities in orthopedics. And we have a special place on the board of specialties. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I am one of those representatives that attend that meeting and advise uh, Mm -hmm. the executive, the academy as a whole uh, on special, you know, the special needs that maybe minority groups, both as surgeons, but also as patients um, may need. So that nice. I lend my voice to that. Perfect. And then what do you hope to accomplish as vice president? Well, I think um, it's been highlighted a little bit with, you know, all of the um, things that are going on now with the um, Black Lives Matter movement right, and right. Um, a lot of the more current issues. But I do think that uh, the Gladden Society really, as the multicultural organization that has been around for several decades, 20 years, we're actually getting ready to celebrate wow. our 20th anniversary, that Goodness. we, yeah, that we um, really are the receptacle or the, the uh, source for um, helping the academy move forward um, in their um, goal of achieving greater uh, diversity and equity within our specialty, but also um, improving our healthcare delivery so that we provide more equitable healthcare to um, all of our patients, including those that are underserved. Hmm. Nice. What do you hope the Gladden Society accomplishes in the next five, 10 or so years? Well, I think what um, I would like and that what we are working toward right now is developing a strategy again in conjunction with the um, academy um, that have some definitive kind of hard goals that we are going to use um, to work towards this diversity um, sort of uh, the diversity goals of the academy. I think the academy has uh, made some efforts, definitely recognized, hey, we are really not um, representative of the American society uh, and the patients that we treat, but how do we get there? And Mm -hmm. um, so I think lending our Um, voices and expertise um, to that so that we can, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Well, we, if we just have black residents, you know, we'll get more diverse. Well, that's really a a good place to start, but you have to think a little bit more holistically. And I go back to my own experience. I think uh, I was the first African-American or black female to train at the University of Virginia. And that was in the 21st century, 2004. It took that long for um, them to accept an African-American female. And Mm -hmm. so um, I didn't have anyone to go to that uh, necessarily looked like me, had similar experiences to me, um, maybe uh, just similar peer group kind of, things. And so as a woman and as a black woman, it, it was, you know, you, it, there was, it was felt a little lonely. And, right. um, 
you know, you speak to some of the leadership things that I'm doing now, but honestly, I felt like my first goal when I became a resident was that I'm not going to be the last. And mm-hmm. so when you say I'm not going to be the last, you have to assume, I assume you assume a lot of responsibility and making sure that you set a standard that, um, uh, is beyond reproach, I guess, or right. that so that there can be more uh, behind you. And then I could serve as a mentor and I made, just made sure I showed up for everything just so that people could see my <laughs> face, that they just knew they weren't alone. Right. Um, and I, I'm sure you've spoken to Dr. Uh, uh, Bonnie Mason Simpson in the past, and I think she uh, may have been the first black woman I ever saw as an orthopedic surgeon in real life. Mm -hmm. And just seeing that, you know, there are someone out there that's like you is already uh, a step in the right direction. Um, But just uh, making sure that was visible and accessible was super important. Um, And so uh, I think uh, with that in mind, the Gladden Society is helping, um, make sure that there are those mentors and those faculty members available for residents um, Mm -hmm. that are so critical in making sure that they're successful through residency. And, um, you know, by having job posts so that we can um, uh, help uh, academic programs as well as private groups recruit you know, mm-hmm. black surgeons or brown surgeons or women surgeons um, right. uh, to their uh, to their institutions um, and groups, um, and then just providing them with information about educational needs and that sort of thing. And so, mm-hmm. I think that's where we're starting. And I think that's you yeah. know you have to start at the beginning. And so, um, making sure we have those pipelines in place. That, so that we can start that both from the top and the bottom, I think is important. Right. right. Ugh, that's phenomenal. Well done. Well done. I do. I know we touched on the Black Lives Matters mm-hmm. uh, movement, and I do want to just delve into that a little bit. Sure. And for review for our listeners, orthopedic surgery is not only one of the least diverse fields when it comes to gender, but also with regards to racial and ethnic diversity. And, you know, as you had mentioned, I was able to speak with Dr. Uh, Bonnie Simpson Mason about this stuff, and I would love to also talk to you about it. Sure. Um, So why do you think orthopedic surgery has not been able to recruit more underrepresented minorities? Gosh, I mean, that's a really difficult <laughs> it's a tough question, and, and, I know. and touchy question. Um, yes. You know, I think it's obviously multifactorial. I think, um, I mean, it's a self-perpetuating thing. I think when you have a certain group uh, that is not necessarily in power, but I mean, technically in power, they're mm-hmm. in charge of recruiting, you tend to recruit the folks that you know and feel comfortable with. Right. Um, and that may be male, that may be, um, you know, white males. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you use recruiting tools that feel comfortable to you, that you know, and those recruiting tools tend to uh, kind of fulfill, to bring in people that look like you. 
And right. so it may be unintentional, it may be intentional, but you just tend to, you know, continually uh, uh, bring in folks that look like you. And so mm -hmm. that's one thing. Um, I think there's also obviously the misnomer that women somehow uh, aren't strong enough uh, mm -hmm. to do orthopedics uh, and that sort of thing, which is ridiculous. Power tools are powered for a reason. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't require there as much force as I think I uh, people like to perpetuate. Right. So that's one right. of the other things. And so you just uh, get this kind of self, this perpetuation. And it's funny. I, I like to tell the story and I actually was recently on a, a call with the uh, executive board of the Academy and um, my chairman, uh, when I, when I became program director, came to me and was like, oh my gosh, we had so many women candidates this year. How did you do it? And it was like, Dr. You know, chairman, um, you put my face on our website as right. the program director. And I reached out to folks and I went mm -hmm. to the academy and I talked at different things and they saw someone that looked like them and that they felt like maybe this was a place that they could feel comfortable at. And he right. was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And I was, and I said, and I actually changed the way we interviewed, where we had mm -hmm. uh, a slightly more diverse interview process and even selection mm -hmm. process, how we were selecting um, applicants to interview. And so, when you turn things on its head a bit and right. um, and do it, just even the, the slight difference of uh, uh, of having somebody, a program director that looks like you know mm -hmm. half of the med school population, things change. Um, right. And so uh, I think, again, chairman thinking, you know what? This is one way we can uh, change the way our residency presents itself or where mm -hmm. our residency is run. And I'm going to support my female faculty members and appoint them to um, – uh, places within the organization that is uh, maybe for recruiting or mm -hmm. is outreach to residents. And when residents and medical students see those folks out there, the program becomes friendlier and right. it looks like it could be for them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's so true. I think it's, What's good is I think people are starting to want to change in yes. the sense that they're like, they're asking, right? That right. like, it's, it's almost like in that, um, you know, in medical school where they mm -hmm. taught you about like motivational interviewing and mm -hmm. you're like, where is the patient on that circle? Yes. And at least we're like past that denial part a little yes. bit possibly. Mm -hmm. And so now people are actually um, starting to think about what actions can be taken in order to help you know, increased diversity. And, sure. you know, it's great that the Gladden Society, RJOS, these societies exist to be able to at least like provide templates, so to speak. And, you know, I slightly more touchy subject, and I was hoping you'd be able to share what some of the adversities and challenges you faced in your own career. And 
um, more than, and of course the feeling that, you know, you're not seeing anyone else that's like you, but were there any other challenges that you also faced? Sure. Um, so again, I think when we started, I told you I was a, uh, a, um, somewhat non-traditional student that I didn't mm-hmm. start medical school right away. Well, one of those reasons because I had a family. And right. so um, when I started residency, I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old, oh, wow. which, you know, again, <laughs> being maybe the third or fourth woman ever at uh, my program, mm-hmm. then being the first woman with children in the right. program that already st- was mind blowing. I mean, again, uh, one of the attendings and I won't mention who is actually an incredible supporter of mine, mm-hmm. uh, now and a, a great friend and mentor. But, uh, I said, like, I don't know how you can do this with children mm-hmm. at my interview right, <laughs> when right. I was interviewing. And I made a point that I wanted to be sure that I, uh, put on my application that I had children and mm-hmm. work that in somehow because I didn't want to be at a place that didn't didn't know about know it that. and right and right. that was going to be a problem for them mm-hmm. and so um, that was one of the things that I I, I think I initially had to uh, I think the people there were a lot of doubters out there like how is this woman <laughs> going to manage residency with two children mm-hmm. and uh, residency is hard and there I had lots of my male colleagues had children as well and wives and they had to manage that but somehow that was not a question um, right. and so uh, I covered a lot of paternity leave during residency um, and uh, my kids are at still are love to talk to my felt my colleagues and things because they mm-hmm. were there a lot of the time and, and mm-hmm. interacted and uh, uh, everything was okay. Like I really right. loved what I was doing. And so my children loved, saw that they had a mom that was like loving what she was doing. So mm-hmm. why was that? I mean, it's fun, right? Right. And right. so um, they always thought it was really cool. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think that was one of the things in learning how to balance that is obviously a, um, a big deal, but I was lucky that I also, my husband uh, comes from a medical family. His mother is the dean of, uh, she's the dean of uh, physical therapy school in California. Wow. And his wow. father is a urologist and mm-hmm. um, he, a long line of women professionals at his uh, in his family. And so mm-hmm. there was no question that you just support your your, right. your spouse and you get in there and just, you know, mm-hmm. do it. And so I think that was kind of one of the big things initially. Um, but then as time went on, I had another baby during, uh, as an attending, mm-hmm. um, and that was interesting and different, uh, but right. a lot easier cause I'd already done it before. So it's like <laughs> no sweat, but you know, right. No problem. But, um, I, uh, back in 2000 and, 14, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, um, mm. which is, a, you know, a neurologic disease that can affect um, both your your strength and balance and uh, lots of different things. And so I had a group of, of wonderful physicians that really were dedicated in making sure that I could continue on doing what I right. love to do. But I also had an incredibly supportive chairman who uh, really worked with me um, 
to make sure that not only I had time to be well, um, but knew uh, and saw strengths in me that I maybe didn't even know myself. I was like, you know what, we're going to develop this or we're going to do this. And so I really felt lucky that I had a lot of people in my um, corner to support mm-hmm. me in um, some of the health challenges that I had. And right. uh, my partners at work were phenomenal as well. I mean, mm-hmm. just uh, amazing uh, partners that you know were able to, you know, take up the slack if I couldn't uh, operate mm-hmm. or. Um, you know, different things. And so I was able to uh, kind of transition to a more uh, administrative role with our department. Mm-hmm. Part of that was obviously being the, the program director. But, um, uh, and then uh, now I have since with kind of progression of my disease, uh, became one of the youngest emeritus professors at St. Louis University. And again, that just speaks to the support of uh, the faculty. And I think uh, just a wonderful work environment that I had uh, at the university. And so I continue on as an orthopedic surgeon, but in a a different uh, capacity. And I do a lot more mentoring and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. uh, at this point. And obviously working with the Gladden Society. Right. Congratulations. That's just a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. I do want to uh, talk a little bit more about the lack of racial and ethnic diversity. Sure. And was hoping that you could speak about through your eyes and through your career. Do you think that there's been a change in either the representation or how we feel about said representation? Um, so yes, I do think there have been some small but incremental changes for the good. And I mean, Mm -hmm. again, that comes with representation, um, you know, for the longest time, uh, again, only black female. And at Mm -hmm. one point in time, I think, and I, this was confirmed, you know, for three years, I was the only um, board certified black female orthopedic surgeon in pediatric orthopedic surgeon in the country for, a, a, for that wow. period of time, which is just crazy. Um, mm-hmm. it's just sometimes mind blowing, yeah. but the, the place where I see the biggest change is that so many of my colleagues, um, and the women that have come after and men that have come after, um, are mentoring and are in academics. And I have residents that know no different than a black female orthopedic surgeon teaching them surgery. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I make a point and a lot of my other colleagues make a point of pointing out some of uh, the different uh, maybe disparities that go on uh, as far as, you know, I have patients that you know, I had a patient that had a fracture missed, uh, um, mm. a little kid that had a fracture missed in the emergency room because not only, you know, was he a black person, but he's poor. And it was assumed that he, he didn't have a car seat. Um, mm. And there's so many other 
things and that, oh, well, he, you know, his pain wasn't addressed and some of the other things were dismissed. And we had, we stopped in clinic and talked about those things. Right. And something that maybe is not on the forefront of my majority colleagues' minds, but we talked about that. Mm-hmm. And I think you see lots more um, published articles, um, you know, where we have more women and more um, uh, racial uh, diversity. And so you're seeing more articles being um, produced that take into consideration, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ethnic uh, background, racial background, uh, economic, socioeconomic background that maybe had never been researched or thought about before mm-hmm. um, uh, when uh, they were doing research in the past. And so if we look right. back with a different lens at some of the stuff that we've done, you know, it's not true for everyone. And so we need to uh, continue to do that. We've got a long way to go. But I think, again, when it, uh, especially in orthopedics, as we become more diverse, we have to look at with the retrospective scope and say, hey, wait a second, right. this isn't the way things are mm-hmm. or should be. Or, um, and it's honestly beneficial to their practices. Um, and I think lots of folks have seen that, demonstrated mm-hmm. um, that, uh, uh, being cognizant of diversity is important mm-hmm. in treating your patients. And so as we um, learn more and more about that, I think, and as more folks like um, um, Dr. O'Keefe, uh, who was the past president of the AOA, making it his uh, uh, goal during his uh, presidency to address racial disparities uh, in healthcare right. and uh I think as more and more folks take that up, it's going to mm-hmm. be, uh, we'll just keep continuing to make strides. Yeah. It's still slow, but <laughs> I think we're, we're getting there. Definitely. Right. Right. And we'll what do there. you, yeah. What do you think needs to happen in order? Like, what are like three action items that need <laughs> happen? Only three, but no, I'm kidding. Um, in order to increase racial and ethnic diversity in orthopedic surgery, um, your dream, dream plan. Dream plan. Um, every um, committee on in the uh, AOS needs to undergo um, uh, diversity training, but mm-hmm. also um, uh, I'm like losing the word, but uh, um, bias training, right? Uh, unconscious bias training. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done that a couple of times with our residents, and I, actually, I taught a class, uh, well, lectured on it to different uh, um, departments at hmm. at St. Louis University, and mm-hmm. it was eye opening to a lot of folks. And hmm. I think we just, again, we need to open our eyes to where we are. Right. So, step one: open your eyes, <laughs> <laughs> and the part of that is self assessment. You know, right. and so uh, honest self-assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, then, secondly, I think there needs to be um, money and um, specific goals set 
uh, within the uh, in, within orthopedics to uh, promote and to address um, uh, diversity. And it's not just sitting on societies and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but development of pipeline programs, again, not just from the bottom, but from the top to mm-hmm. help incentivize um, uh, hiring of uh minority physicians, especially mm-hmm. in academics, I think, because again, we're training, you know, these, these new people to be the doctors and taking care of our society and they need to be aware. And so you need, mm-hmm. that needs to be a goal. And there's mm-hmm. lots of ways to achieve that. The nth dimension is a, uh, um, you know, a excellent example of how to do that mm-hmm. from the bottom. And again, we need to do that from the top. And then I think the third would be um, addressing the educational system of residents. Um, you know, we've gotten, uh, when I was a resident, there weren't, you know, the ACGME hadn't set, you know, sp- certain guidelines for learning for orthopedics. And there's mm-hmm. all new um, uh, curriculum uh, goals that have been set that I just think are absolutely fabulous. You know, uh, I, I feel like there were things that I knew I needed to learn, but I didn't know if I had learned them and, (laughs) you know, there just weren't these boxes or the, you know, these, um, uh, tangible goals. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, part of, uh, that is to change through, and the ACGME has done some of the things to put that in place and kind of force, uh, programs to address that, but I think we need to go further and um, require certain things at institutions um, as far as teaching goes um, for right. our residents. And so, um, I think that's the I think the three things I would right. do immediately. Yeah. That I completely sprung that question on you, and that was a surprise question. And okay. I absolutely that was so amazing. So that was fantastic. So thank you oh, so sure. much for that response. <laughs> <awesome>. No problem. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about, and I know that we've touched on um, your diagnosis with multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. and um, this season of RJOS highlights surgeons who have taken the road less traveled. Sure. And you, um, in addition to being a black female orthopedic surgeon, which mm-hmm. by definition is a road less traveled, <laughs> yes. um, you literally also had to deal with adversity, attending just the life of an orthopedic career with the, your diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. And mm-hmm. I do appreciate you sharing, um, sure. you know, your experiences, your thoughts, your emotions. And mm-hmm. I was hoping you can Talk to us about when you were first diagnosed and kind of the thought processes that you had at that time. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. Multiple sclerosis is such a um, heterogeneous sort of symptom Mm -hmm. uh, diagnosis. And honestly, for years, I had uh, probably been having uh, issues and just didn't know. In residency, I, I developed a foot drop that I was just sure I had a herniated disc and actually went as far mm-hmm. as having an MRI of my lumbar spine and it just went away. Oh. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, it's just an injury, pinched nerve or something mm-hmm. and it went away. And then I just became increasingly fatigued and mm-hmm. actually um, had a hard time speaking 
um, mm. and swallowing. And I had this weird um, pain in my neck that's called a Le Hermette's uh, sign, where mm -hmm. I would just, anytime I looked down, I would just have this incredible shocky feeling in mm. my neck. And, um, and then a weird pain in a dermatomal pattern. Well, of course, you know, being a doctor, I, 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 I definitely had something else. But I, I had this little nagging suspicion that something else was going on. And it's interesting because my even my residents, I was teaching at one point in time, and they were, oh, Dr. Meekin, do you okay? We couldn't hear you when you were speaking. Mm. And it sounded like you couldn't speak, you know, that you were having a right, hard time right. speaking is everything, or do you have a cold or something, you know, it was just mm -hmm. interesting. And so, um, I convinced my doctor, you know, I thought I had, um, shingles or something, but then I, I was just like, you know, with this neck thing, it's just so weird. I think you need to get an MRI. And he's like, you're crazy, but I'll get it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's how I was diagnosed. Wow. Yeah. At what stage of your career were you at? Um, so I was already in attending. So I had mm -hmm. um, graduated, you know, I had finished, I was probably five years into practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Five years into practice and really like, you know, at that point where you really, you're starting to feel mm -hmm. a little bit confident and yeah. uh, um, kind of able to do things. So right was I know yeah yeah no I know and you what's amazing is that it's so comforting to hear your story about how your co um you know your partners so to speak mm -hmm. at your work were so supportive and they were just oh helpful and your bosses were helpful mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things right. and um I, I wish that's the case for everybody, you know? Yeah, and, uh, I mean, and I have to say, you know, and this is something that I had a conversation with with my doctors. I mean, this is a diagnosis that definitely, you know, causes disability. And um, it is definitely within everyone's right not to disclose these things. You mm -hmm. do not have to disclose them. I felt like I was in an environment that I could disclose those things, and that's right. why I did. And um, it's interesting because initially I I told very few people about it um, right. and uh, just figured I, this is just something, you know, I can get over and I'm done, you know, I'll get treatment and I'll just move mm -hmm. on and, and be fine with. And so at some point in time, it got, you know, very obvious uh, that, you know, I was walking with a cane or that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. so um, I started sharing more and it I was a little, uh, apprehensive about sharing it with other folks because I didn't know how they would, um, I, I didn't want, uh, pity, I guess is the right. best word because I am a person that just, I'll figure out a way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, whether or not by my, you know, I'll, we'll figure it out and I'll, I, right. I, I amend as I go. And I've always loved being able to do that. Just, you know, mm -hmm. even just, when you attack, you know, plan or, or perform a surgery. And so, um, I think allowing myself to be a little bit vulnerable and telling folks that this is something, this is just part of me, just like anything mm -hmm. else, um, was difficult. But after I let people know, it actually became somewhat empowering to own that mm -hmm. part of me and for them to right. see, actually, you know, look at her, she's doing all these other things too. Yeah. That, scary but for some right. folks it's really it's hard to talk mm -hmm. about those things um and uh um you know one of i think uh 
Dr. Mason is also one of those great people. She's come out, you know, within the last few years right. um, and talking about her struggles with arthritis. And I think mm-hmm. she and I spoke before, you know, it was kind of common knowledge that she had this illness, but it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between friends and folks knew and we talked a lot. Um, when I first got this diagnosis of like how right. to handle these things. Um, but it has, I think, made me a better uh, mentor in that, um, you know, we don't talk a lot about uh, the, you, we talk a lot about tr- training and being a good surgeon and a safe surgeon and good decision maker and a leader, but um, you also have to plan for yourself and talk about right disability insurance yeah how important it is to protect uh the things that you've built yeah i i think what's amazing is i think uh you know you were talking about how it took it took power to be uh vulnerable and i think that in orthopedic surgery it's this like you're a surgeon and you can just do it and you find a way to just get it done and when you're thrown something like like this it's just completely right against everything that you've trained to do yeah i am definitely guilty of that just power through kind of mentality where you just ignore you know yeah when you're dead or you know right 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 silliness (laughs) where which is it it, honestly is ridiculous um we're all humans and we all need sleep we all need rest we all have stress we um have families and so Mm -hmm. it's really really important that uh, we get over this kind of macho mentality. I don't know if it's macho or just, uh, you know, this mentality that somehow you, this warrior mentality Mm -hmm. that you have to just fight through no matter what and that it's a war. This is like, it's healthcare, it's your life, it's work. But, and and definitely, obviously we spend way more time at work than lots of folks who choose other careers. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, it's important that we take care of ourselves and and allow ourselves to be human in part right. of within all of these things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Nice, so. very cool. What advice would you have for surgeons? You know, male, female, mm-hmm. um, of all ethnic uh, and racial groups who mm-hmm. experience adversities as it relates to their health. Um. Gosh, um, one is to allow yourself time to process. Um, mm-hmm. A lot like any sort of um, process or even loss, because it does did feel a little bit like a loss. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you go through, you know, all those stages of anger and you know, how do I do this and just shock. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, it's really important, first of all, to allow yourself space to have that, but Mm -hmm. then, um, uh, take time to really get a lot of input from different places. Um, Mm -hmm. um, so that you know, and can find, uh, what's best for you. I I have a a close friend that was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago Mm. and, uh, just for her to find out kind of how I can, what's best for me, um, Mm -hmm. both as a doctor, because I think it's really important. I mean, I am an orthopedic surgeon. I really, that's a really big part of who I am and, um, allowing space for how does that 
work with this new who I am or this new piece of who I am. Um, and so uh, allow yourself time to kind of understand all that, get a lot of input, mm-hmm. get input from places other than orthopedic surgery, <laughs> um, you know, whether it be your family, because they'll be honest with you about right. your uh, how you're doing um, mm-hmm. and are, are good at putting up that mirror a little bit. Um, but um, just from other places, because there's just different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to get that input and ideas because there's just there can be different spaces and different places where you can still have and be that orthopedic surgeon or that doctor, you know, whatever it is that you are, uh, whether it be a mom or, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Because again, just like being a mom, you know, I would talk to med students like, well, how do you do it? Well, you know, I, I haven't cleaned a toilet in 10 years because I, 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 surprise with my salary, I employ lots of other women and empower them to help me, you know, like it's, you know, um, I'm driving the economy, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I, I hire out stuff. I, I do, I, I, uh, push the scale, weight the scale to all the things that I want and, and, you know, put off those other, throw those other things off um, right. to other things to do. Mm-hmm. So I just don't ever have to think about those things. So, yeah. uh, so it's not much unlike that, yeah. you know, so mm-hmm. oh, that's amazing. how I would explain to deal with it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I hear you. Um, I know that we've talked a lot about your past, and so mm-hmm. I would like to talk about your future and sure. your future goals. And and what are you? I know that uh, with the coronavirus pandemic, it's certainly influencing and impacting kind of planning and everything. Yes. But what are your future goals and projects that you have? Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, honestly, it's what I you know uh, learning as much as I can about the academy and the mm-hmm. uh, Gladden Society and how I can lend. Uh, any expertise and support to that process of, mm-hmm. um, you know, diversity within orthopedics, I think, which is, is funny that I'm back to round to where I started, like, I don't want to be the last. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to, even if it's just uh, showing up to things, I, I have right. to uh, make sure that I uh, manage my energy in a, in a good way. And focus it on the th- those things that are most important things that I can uh, mm-hmm. help and um, affect change best. And so I'm working towards that, learning where I can be best uh, put in. I just recently, uh, the University of Virginia started a mentorship program where they call, you know, former um, med students, graduates, mm-hmm. um, and connect them with a student that is interested in doing uh, pursuing a career that you've, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. with pediatric orthopedics or just orthopedics. And so I decided I would uh, participate in that. And so I have a mentee mm-hmm. this uh, year uh, and through that process. And it's just really mm-hmm. neat to hear how she's, uh, how she got to where she is right. and where she, what she wants to do and right. all of those different things. So um, oh, I'm doing that. Awesome. And being a mom, oh my gosh, yeah. I have two college students and, oh, uh, wow. and I'm adding uh, virtual uh, 
um, teacher to the (laughs) elementary school. You know, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, but uh, teaching elementary school is a whole different skill set. So uh, working, working on that. Working on that part. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What advice do you have for surgeons and surgeons in training? Um, gosh, what advice do I have? Um, you know, it's so funny. We all get caught up with, uh, the 80-hour work week or time, um, but residency is like one of was one of it's almost like motherhood as far as like how it affected my life because it's just mm-hmm. so uh, um, all consuming um, and it's interesting like I as a first year you're just I, I, I felt like I was fighting a lot mm-hmm. with things whether it be like oh my gosh I'm in a consult until finally I just kind of surrendered to it a little bit. Um, and I don't know if that's the right word, but I just allowed myself to be really present, I guess, as a, mm-hmm. instead of thinking about everything in the distance. Um, and so for my residents, I mean, just allowing yourself just to be really present, uh, mm-hmm. uh, makes things so much more tolerable and, right. uh, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't take there's, there's a, a robbing energy of worrying about, you know, of anxiety of what's going mm-hmm. on uh, to be in the future or dwelling on something that, you know, happened 10 years, you know, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't allow you to really uh, learn and enjoy what you're doing. And orthopedics mm-hmm. is a lot of fun at the bottom line. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there's stress, there's, th- you know, other things going on, but I mean, the, uh, the ability to affect change in such a tangible way is so unique to orthopedics and can it you just instantaneously can get this amazing energy back and so just mm-hmm. focusing on that i mean there's going to be ups and downs and all and obviously things that you're going to have to deal with but um being present is so amazing you just will absorb so much and have so much more fun doing what you do. So I think that's one thing that I would say. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing I would say um, to colleagues or folks or residents, you know, is to, um, to accept, to look at things from other people's perspective. I Mm -hmm. think, uh, it's so interesting. I um, I think one thing I'll take forever is that I had a res- male resident, first year resident in the operating room. My chief resident was female. It's me in the OR, the attending. And he got to do an ankle fracture all by himself. And it was the first case he ever got to do cut mm-hmm. skin and do all these things. And he was super excited. And his perspective from now on and you always you know you remember your first case you know that you mm-hmm. got to do and it was taught to him by two women mm-hmm. surgeons and so his perspective is so different 
And if you can, even if you don't necessarily have that same experience, you can always try to change your perspective. And so I think if we can do a little bit more of that, um, change comes a lot easier because you start seeing people as like you and not Mm -hmm. the other. And so um, I think that's super important. And so that's at least what I tried try to do. So yeah, amazing. Dr. McGinty, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the RJOS podcast with Dr. Yasmeen McGinty. I want to take this time to thank my lead editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. I would also like to thank the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society for allowing me to partner with them and share these stories. We're going to bring you more great episodes in the future, but for now, thank you so much for listening, and please stay safe.